Good morning. It is so great to see you here today. My name is Kelly Thomas and I serve in women's ministries and maturing adults. And my name is Hannah and I serve on our student life team. Kelly, as we get closer to the end of summer, what is some of the things that you're looking forward to most this fall? Okay, good question, because I have to take a few minutes and grieve the loss of summer yes, first. as we all do. But when I do, I really do look forward to the colors and the trees, mm. and it, it's just so beautiful. It mm. makes me so happy. Also, I do look forward to football season. You're a sports person. I am. I am not. I am, I am. <laughs> and I think that all those Bear fans out there are going to agree with me. This is going to be a much better year. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but Bears, best of luck to you. As long as I have a pumpkin spice latte in my hand, I'll watch anything, so. Well, maybe somebody could bring you one on a Sunday morning. An almond milk, pumpkin spice latte, iced, if you see me. <laughs> well, another thing that I look forward to, Hannah, is the fact that our groups all start up fresh and, and with a great start mm -hmm. in the fall. And I get the pleasure of leading our Place for You Bible Studies, which is one of our wonderful women's Bible studies. Mm -hmm. But there are so many groups. In their groups, we get to see that people come together, they get to learn together, they get to support one another, and build some really lasting and deep relationships. Mm -hmm. It is beautiful. I mean, groups are all about finding a place to belong. So whether you're nervous to try a group for the first time or you're excited to jump back in and resume a group that you've already been a part of, there is a place for you here. And so you can sort and filter all of our groups at wheatonbible.org groups, or you can even just head out into the atrium and speak to one of our team members or pick up a catalog for more information. Yeah, and to prepare for all the transformation that's gonna take place in, in our lives this fall, I wanna invite you to a prayer night on August 29th at 6 p.m. We're gonna spend time thanking God for all that he's been doing in our lives and pray for our ministries and our leaders and our amazing volunteers as we enter into our next ministry season. Yeah, our leaders and our volunteers are ministry partners here. I've seen so many students be transformed through our volunteer leaders. And at our Tri-Village campus, Bill Curley is as essential as anyone else to preparing for our Sunday services. So take a listen to this. Hi, I'm Bill Curley. I'm head of operations for Tri-Village Church, which is a campus of Wheaton Bible. Being head of operations, I get to minister to people that I don't know. I'm, I, I look out for people on Sunday that I might not recognize that might be, about, um, might be uh, visiting. Um, so that gives me a chance to ask where they came from, how they found the church, and what, what their faith walk is, if, if, if any. I don't consider it just operations. It's uh, it's a chance to really um, get involved and into somebody's life, and just just by a caring hello and you know who are you and welcome to welcome to our church. I got involved in service one because Jesus calls me to serve. Uh, so first and foremost is I'm obedient to what He asked me to do. Um, it's also a pleasure doing it, I get to see people that I don't get to talk to on a Sunday morning um, when we have worship, if there's not time before or after, but I'm there very early, so I get to get some good fellowship time with um, the tech team and my pastor and others that are uh, volunteers on a Sunday morning. Everybody has a smile, everybody has a handshake. Um, just greeting, opening up a door for somebody you could just sit there and smile and just say good morning and welcome. Uh, you know, it's not that hard and you never know just that friendly smile or a pet on the back. Somebody might need that 
you know, that morning as they're walking in. And I found that um, when you're open and honest, you find out uh, you're not alone, that we're all walking this life uh, together and we all have the same struggles. And, uh, you know, that's why we come to church. We don't come on Sunday mornings to play church. You know, we come to try to be real with each other. And, um, and that's always encouraging. So when I think about serving, I always think about when Jesus washed the apostles' feet as they were looking, going, why would you want to serve me, you know, of, of all the things, and, and wash my feet? And I thought that was very powerful that, you know, the Lord would show that kind of um, service and how he says this is what it means to serve. You don't have to do it for me. I want to do it for you. And that's what serving is. Good morning and welcome to Wheaton Bible Church this morning. My name is Katie Willemson and if you don't know me, I direct the traditional worship here along with my husband Steve. Uh, I wanted to add my encouragement to try to see if you can find a way to serve at church this fall. I was talking uh, with my 13-year-old daughter this week about what she will choose to do and help in serving the church. And she was saying, well, maybe I want to do this, but I really like this. But after hearing Pastor Rob share last week about how much great need there was in so many areas, she said, I just want to do whatever the church needs, wherever they need it the most. And I was like, praise the Lord. Hooray, Lord. You did a great work in my daughter. So let's church, church, let's just go out and see what the need is and answer the calls so that kids and adults can be have their lives transformed by God's love and his power. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and start by reading God's word responsively together. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him... Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, O oh people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge.
Every morning as I meet with God, I want to express those 10,000 reasons to praise him. And maybe you're like me, and, and I'm always searching for the right routine for my personal times with God. You know, should I do my Bible study first and then go into my prayer time? Or should I start with a hymn? I know music so much softens my heart from the hardness of the world, and it helps me to connect with him. So should I sing a hymn and then go into the whatever uh, part of God's word I'm reminded of? One day this week, I opted to sing first to God, and I never moved into the Bible time because it was so sweet to express myself to him in that way. And so I thought this morning we would pray with the words that I found myself singing that morning. Let's pray together a prayer of consecration. Lord Jesus, fill our days with gratitude and praise that we might always show your mercy, your love, and your justice too. Our time we wholly give to you. Lord Jesus, take our minds, each dream and thought resigned to think on all that's pure and holy, to cling to what is true. Our thoughts we wholly give to you. Lord Jesus, still our hearts. Enable us to start to see your promised new beginnings and new priorities. Our hearts we wholly give for these. Lord, fill our days with endless praise. Lord, take our minds, each, each thought resigned. Lord, still our hearts and set apart our lives for you. Lord Jesus, faithful friend, we cannot comprehend that you will lift us up to glory when our journey is through. And our lives we wholly give to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And we know we find peace when we surrender ourselves in this way to the Lord. And this next hymn celebrates that. So let's stand and celebrate this peace.
Before praying, I, I, wanted, I wanted to remind you that there are certain things that we do as believers that are extremely important, extremely important. Throughout church history, some of these things is what have uh, sustained believers through rough times. So, for example, uh, things like gathering frequently is important for a believer. Hearing the word of God is important for a believer. Praying as individuals and in community is important for a believer. And also is very important to the believer is to be generous and to live a life of fellowship and to serve. So this is not a propaganda kind of thing. This is not a commercial for you to give and to join a group and to serve. This is what you need for your heart. So I want to invite you. I want to thank all of you that continue to support the church financially. Please continue to do so. If you are not part of that group, I want to invite you to consider to start giving to the church generously. Your heart needs it, and the church will use it for the glory of God and the well-being of others. I also want to invite you to consider joining some sort of group in our church. Our church is so large that we have multiple groups with multiple focuses. You get to pick which one you want. Just please join a group. Amen? And number three, please serve. How many of you guys have spiritual gifts? Please raise your hand. 
Is there anyone here who doesn't have a spiritual gift? Please raise your hand. We all have something to give. Did you know that your spiritual gifts are not yours? They're for the church. Can you say for the church? The spiritual gifts are for the church. So listen, you could serve here in the traditional service. We got multiple things to do. You could serve in our contemporary service if you want to get a little bit louder, right? You could serve at Iglesia del Pueblo if you want to be exposed to a different language. You could serve at TVC. Maybe you could go over there and commit to TVC for a while because, you know, that's a different world over there. You know, there's so many different things, children, youth, tech, whatever you want. You have the gift that the church needs, and it's good for you to use it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful that we are the church. We are, not, uh, we are not a human invention. We are not just a group of people that happen to gather together every now and then. We are not just, we are not a social club. We are the church. The one that you purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. The one that you rescued by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are the church, the one that was left here for the glory of your name and the well-being of people. We are the church, the one that you came to save and rescue and send. Lord, please help us see that and understand that. Please help us to be the people that we're supposed to be. Please, Lord, use everything that we do here for the glory of your name and the joy of your people. And now, Lord, we pray that you speak to us this morning, knowing, Lord, that we need your word and we need the power of the Spirit using that word. Lord, please, may, may the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And the church says... All right. So, good morning, familia. That's all right. Good morning, familia. I love it when it says good morning, Hannibal. Thank you so much for that over there. Um, If you are not familiar with who I am, which is one of the uh, pastors here at church, and I wanted to welcome you all. Whether you're here or you're worshiping with us online, we are so grateful that we get to do this together. We are here to love you and serve you in any way we can. So, please let us know. Today, I have the privilege to start a two-week series. We're going to uh, take a pause on Rob's last preaching series, his heart for the church, basically. Uh, and we want to talk about, and we want to have this series that we have called Re-Emerged. Um, so the reason why we started thinking about this is because even though we're still in the pandemic, I think that by God's grace, the Lord is taking us slowly and gradually out of the pandemic. So it feels like if we are re-emerging, right, because of everything that we have gone through for the last year and a half, and as I was thinking about this, uh, this is the question that came to mind. What is, it, what is one thing that I have learned through this pandemic that later on I would like to share with somebody else? So the question for you is, what is it that you have learned through this pandemic as we continue to reemerge or reemerging? What is one thing that you have learned through this pandemic that later on, 20 years from now, you get to share with somebody else? See, we have all experienced different things. We have, I think that we all agree that we have suffered together. 
We have experienced different, different things together. We have cried at times together. All of us had different questions through this season somehow. All of us have asked, I, at least I, I am assuming that many of us have asked the question, how long, oh Lord? But if there's one thing that we all have in common, regardless of the different things, backgrounds, or histories, we can all say that we were all under, went underwater, and by God's grace, we are reemerging. This is the one thing that all of us have in common. Every single one of us have gone underwater, and by God's grace, we are reemerging. So when we started thinking about this series, COVID was going away, so we used the word reemerged. <laughs> we had to change that title a little bit because things are not going as well as we thought it was going to be. On the other hand, by God's grace, we are reemerging. So I'm thinking to myself, and I'm thinking, what is it that I'm going to tell my, my grandchildren, by God's grace, hopefully, 20 years from now? And I'm, I could just picture myself 20 years from now sitting in that chair. It's going to be my reading chair for sure, with long gray hair <laughs> and amazing muscles at age 60. With my three or four grandchildren next to me, and I'm going to say, let me tell you something that I went through 20 years ago. We went through a pandemic, and by God's grace, because of the power of God, the presence of God, and the promises of God, we reemerged. See, the reason why we gave this title, and the reason why we have been thinking about this, is because we wanted you to actually think about what your life is going to be and what you're going to say 20 years from now. And I don't think that there's any better story in the Bible that is similar, not the same, but similar to what we have gone through than Noah and the flood. Obviously, there's a huge difference there. But Noah went through something similar to what we have gone through. He also went through a global catastrophe. And the promises of God, the power of God, and, and the presence of God was what sustained him, and, re, and he also re-emerged. So for the next two weeks, today and next week, we're going to be reading through, we're going to be looking at sections from Genesis chapter 6 all the way to Genesis chapter 9. Uh, today, we're going to be focusing in verses in chapter 6 through 8, and don't worry, we're just going to grab sections of that. And next week, when you come back, Amen? We're going to see Genesis chapter 9. For the reading of the scripture, though, we're going to do Genesis chapter 6 uh, from verses 5 through 14. So could you please stand for the reading of God's word? We're going to be reading, once again, Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 14. If you are still with me, can you please say, I'm here? That was beautiful. Genesis chapter 6. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. And that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. And his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. 
and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that moved along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And I'm surely going to destroy both of them and both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, we pray that you speak to us today. We pray, Lord, that we may be transformed by your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we all say, you may take a seat. How many of you guys are familiar with the story of Noah? Maybe I shouldn't preach it then. As always, though, I want to challenge you to try to read this story in a different way. You know, one of the great, great dangers we have as Christians is when we assume that we know this story. And I want, I want to invite you to ask three questions to the text this morning. Why do bad things happen to good people? Notice the quotation under the word, or with the word good. How does a good God respond to bad things? And number three, how should I respond to bad things in light of a good God? Or our good God. Why do bad things happen to good people? How does a good God respond to bad things? And how should I respond? How we respond to bad things in light of a good God? Look at point number one. Question number one. Why bad things happen to good people? I think that most of us would agree, if you have been in the church for a while, and even if you are a seeker, I, I would agree, I, I think that we would all agree that at least you have heard that, um, that when we talk about humanity being good, we actually have to question that. This is the reason why I'm using the quotation, right? So uh, it doesn't mean that we are the worst people in the world. It doesn't mean that, we, that everything we do is sinful. It doesn't mean that we don't have the capacity or the ability to do good things. But what it means, though, is that everything we do is tainted by sin, Everything we do, even the good things, are tainted by sin. I always use this as an example. I believe that this morning I'm preaching this word for the glory of God and you're good. But I also know that there's a part of me in my heart in which wants to take the glory of God. Everything good that we do is tainted by sin. Some theologians call this sinful nature. Other theologians call this total depravity, right? But at the end of the day, I think that most Christians, if not all Christians, should at least consider the idea that we are sinful. If you remember Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, God creates everything beautiful and perfect. And there are three relations um, displayed in those chapters. The relationship between God and man, the relationship between man and, man and woman, or man and man, or human beings, and the last relationship is between human beings and creation. And when the first relationship gets damaged, a relationship with God, every other relationship 
gets damaged in, Gen in Genesis chapter 3. Because sin entered the world and our relationship with God got messed up or damaged, then every other relationship got messed up. Our relationship with one another and our relationship with creation. So by the time we get, so when you keep on reading the first chapters of the book of Genesis, you see how gradually the sin of the world is being magnified and it's taking over more and more things. Why? Because human beings are the ones carrying this sin. So by the time we get to Genesis chapter 6, we find this. This is chapter 6 verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil at all times. The two key words right there, actually the three key words, are wickedness, inclination, and heart. Interesting that the word wickedness in the, in the original language can also be translated as depravity. This is why some theologians talk about total depravity, right? And he says that every inclination of the human heart was damaged. It means that not only humans started to behave immorally, but that everything about them, that about them got corrupted. So their thoughts got corrupted, their reasoning got corrupted, corrupted, even their motives got corrupted. This is the reason why I say that everything we do is tainted by sin. And the key word there then is heart, because that's where everything happens. Your heart is the center of your being. It is from your heart that your thoughts come from, your emotions come from, and your will is affected. Whatever is in your heart dictates your life. And the text says that because of Genesis chapter 3, when we get to Genesis chapter 6, the human beings have messed everything up. And then we read in chapter 6, verse 11, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. Verse 12, God saw how corrupt the earth had become again, and for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So when we think about the flood, and when we think about what Noah has gone through, you have to make a connection to Genesis chapter 3. Everything that Noah went through was because of sin. It's interesting that after the flood, and we're not, I'm just going to show you some verses here, but after the flood, the Lord repeats the same thing that he said before the flood. So he says in chapter 8, verse 21, Never again I will curse the ground because of humans, and I will talk about that next week. Even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. Notice that he says that our heart was corrupted, our inclinations were corrupted before the fall and after the fall. Every time I read that verse, I think about parents that just had their first baby. And how usually when they think about their first baby, they use phrases like, look at this little angel. And every time I hear someone saying, look at this little angel, I want to ask the question, what kind of angel are you talking about? <laughs> if you want to know the kind of angel you got, you just got to wait a few days when this egocentric, selfish, beautiful baby 
is going to make your life really hard. Look at the kind of angel you got. And that's part of the reason, and part of the reason is because every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. I'm, I'm sure that some of you guys are thinking of Psalm 51.5. This is David say, saying, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. You know, for Christians, it's so important that we understand that sin is not something we learn. Sin is not just something we learn. Certainly, we can learn from the sinful behavior of other people. But sin is not just something we learn. Sin is part of our fallen nature. Sin is not something we catch like a cold. Sin is part of who we are in a broken world. Can you see how Genesis chapter 6 is repeating what Genesis chapter 3 talks about? And it talks about the reality and the nature of sin and the human heart. So the question remains, why is it, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, I think that by now you actually can make the connection. It's everything that we are going through. Everything we have gone through, everything that Noah went through, everything that the world has gone through is because of our sin. When you read the book of Noah, it's so easy to miss this sentence in chapter 6, verse 13. Uh, let me skip this. Let me skip this. Let me go back to this. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So when you ask the question, why is it that bad things happen to good people? The answer is always the same. Our sin. I don't understand how everything happens. I don't understand why and how the pandemic started, even though there's different ideas of why it started. But what I do know is that what we have been going through and what we are going through is because of sin. It's not because of the character of God. That's why it's so important that we keep that in mind. See, all of this is started in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. This is when God said to Adam after he sinned, Curse, because of you, curse is the ground, because of you. Everything we have gone through, this is the reason why Paul in Romans chapter 8, 22, says that because of our sin, the whole creation has been groaning. Not just human beings are groaning, but the whole creation has been groaning. When our relationship with our creator got damaged, every other relationship got damaged. The relationship between human beings and our relationship with creation. So when we think about why is it that good, bad things happen to good people, the answer is always bad things happen to bad people because we are bad people. Once again, please hear me right. I'm not saying that we are the worst people in the world I could guarantee you that you're going to find someone that is worse than you. 
I am not saying that, the, that, that we are the worst things in the world. What I'm saying is that everything we do is tainted by sin, and there's consequences for that. And what I'm saying is that we do have the potential to do crazy things. Crazy things. Every time I have a counseling session with somebody, every time I hear about the things that other people are doing, I always remember that I do have the potential to do exactly the same thing. May the Lord keep us from ever saying, I would never do that. We do have the potential to do crazy things. Why bad things happen to good people? Because this is what it means to live in a broken world. See, the, the flood and the pandemic was not part of God's original design. Suffering, the way we have been suffering and Noah suffered, was not part of God's original design. Dying is not normal, people. Dying is unnatural. It was not part of God's original design. People getting sick is not normal. That was not part of God's original design. All of things, everything that we have going through was not part of God's original design. Everything that we have been going through, everything that we go through and everything that we're going to go through, because that's the reality of what it means to live in a broken world, is because we have always wanted a life without God. So please don't put what we're going through on the character of God. You got to put it on us. I think that that's what saved Noah, you know? I think that that's what kept Noah from skepticism and cynicism and bitterness. I actually think that this understanding of our human nature, sinful human nature, is what keeps you and keeps me from skepticism, cynicism, and bitterness. When we understand that everything we have gone through and everything we are going through is because of sin in the world, our sin and somebody else's sin. We don't have to approve suffering, but we understand it. We don't have to rejoice in suffering, but we expect it. We don't have to pretend like if this is abnormal when we live in this broken world. So please, please, church, don't put, this on one, don't, don't put this one on God. It's all us. It has always been all us. That was now God's original design. That's why bad things happen to quote-unquote good people. Amen? The president of? Yeah. Let me give you then. Let, let, let me give you something that is really going to help you with this. Question number two. Um, yeah. How does a good guy respond to bad things? And this part for me is simply amazing. Because what we're going to see right now is how God was dealing with Noah. And when you read that, you're going to have to see how God was dealing and has been dealing with us. How God was dealing with Noah at the flood is the same way that God has been dealing with us through this pandemic. 
So the first thing that I want you to see is how God responds in the midst of this chaos, in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of everything that people are going through. This is the first thing that we see from the text, how God responds. He grieves. Chapter 6, verse 6, the Lord regretted. This is before the fall. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. You know, the word regret, it was not, uh, in my understanding, it's not like, oh my goodness, why did I make these sinful people? Well, first of all, he did not make sinful people. He made holy people that got corrupted. So when the Bible says that he regretted, it's not like, oh, I hate them. That's not the case. I think that regretted has more this idea that because God is love, and that love is holy, when God sees what our sin is and what our sin does, that produces this thing in him, which is, I regret it. Does that make sense? Because God is a God of love. Notice that the Bible doesn't say that God is a God of wrath. The Bible talks about God as a God of love. And because God is a God of love, God is a God holy. And because God is holy, a loving, holy God, whenever he sees our sin and what our sin does, he regrets it. He's affected by it. But notice that it's not just regret what he experienced, but he's deeply troubled. That phrase has transformed the way I see my God. Because even though he knows and I know that everything we are going through is because of our sin, I see how my God suffers with me and because of me. God feels what we go through when we go through the things we go through. God suffers. We don't have a God that sees what we have gone through and he says, well, you got what you deserved. That would be a monster. We do not have a God that says that he's indifferent to our pain or our struggle, even if we cost it. The God we, got, the God we have is so close, so close to, it, that what, close to us that what we go through affects him. Here we have the picture of a suffering God. Look at how he, this um, scholar puts it, which I think is amazing. He says, here we see God's vulnerability. Here is the pain of created, creative love. He is the wounded spirit of the artist whose work is rejected. The broken heart of the lover who, whose love is not returned. God makes himself vulnerable. God empties himself in love. God himself enters the world of brokenness and pain. Genesis 6 paints, points us to the suffering God. See, as a church, we can never say that God does not understand us. See, as Christians, we can never say that God is indifferent. God is never indifferent. God is never indifferent. Did you know that part of the reason why you're here today worshiping together, or you're connected with us online, is because God is not indifferent. 
Did you know that part of the reason why we're still surviving, surviving is because God is not indifferent? Did you know that the reason why we continue to move forward is because God has always been, would always is, and would always be a God that is so close to his people that he gets affected by the things we do and what we go through. We reemerge when we remember that we're never alone in the midst of these struggles. We start to reemerge when we never we always remember that God is not indifferent. Not only the text shows us that God is not indifferent, but it also shows us that God always extends grace. Chapter 6 verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah, in chapter, uh, verse 9, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. It is, it is so tempting to read these verses and think that the reason why the Lord saved Noah was because he was a righteous man, meaning that he had good relationship with people. We may be tempted to believe that the reason why God saved Noah was because he was blameless, meaning that he walked according to what the Lord wanted him to do. We may be tempted to assume that the reason why God saved him is because Noah walked faithfully with God, meaning that he had a relationship with God. We may be tempted to believe that the reason why Noah and his family got saved was because Noah was awesome. But that's not what the text shows. Notice that his righteousness, blamelessness, and walking faithfully flows out of him finding favor in the eyes of God. Actually, one of the, way, uh, one of the ways one of the scholars puts it is because grace found him first was the reason why he wanted to be righteous and blameless and walk faithfully with God. So here, Noah did not get saved because he deserved it. You and I are not here because we deserve it. God is not sustaining us through this pandemic and will sustain us until the pandemic is gone because we are awesome. The only reason why we are here today is because of his grace. All grace. I'm about to get super personal, church. So when you start fighting about masks and politics and all that stuff, we are forgetting that the reason why we're even alive is because of grace. When we forget the concept of grace, we feel that we are superior because of our opinions. You following? You still love me, right? Don't forget grace. Grace was what sustained Noah. Grace is what he has been, what he has been sustaining us. Grace is sustaining us. Grace is what is going to sustain us as we move into the future. That's how you reemerge. It is because God grieves. It is because God extends grace, and it is because God commits. Look at what he did with Noah, chapter 6, verse 18. 
but I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And then in chapter 8, verse 1, uh, verse one he says that after the flood, God remembered Noah. I hope you know that when the Bible says that God remembered Noah, it's not saying that God is trying to move things around and God is dealing with this flood and then he's like, oh, where is Noah? I hope you know that that's not what's happening there. The word remembered there is in direct connection to the covenant that God had already made. Notice what God promises before going into the flood. I make a covenant with you and your family. You know what a translation of the word covenant in modern English could be? Belong. Or bound. God says to Noah, I am bound to you and your family before you go into the ark, before the flood comes. I am bound to you. I cannot, awake, I cannot walk away from you. The word covenant in the Old Testament is always the same thing. One-way commitment. One-way commitment. This is God telling Noah, I am committing I am committed to you and your family, regardless of what you guys go through. Noah steps into the ark in faith because God had made that covenant. Let, let me paint this picture for you. I'm sure that you've seen um, the image of a palm tree, palm tree in the middle of a hurricane. Have you ever seen that? I've always found that image so amazing. Because the palm tree gets shaken really bad. It's like, bam, 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 bam. And the wind and the water is hitting the palm tree. Boom, 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 boom. That's Christian life, people. Look, oh, oh, oh. That's the Christian life, people. But if you see the palm, the reason why the palm does not fly away it's not because the palm is grabbing the ground like crazy. It's because it's rooted in such a way that the foundation sustains it. How is that related to Christianity? And how is that related to Noah? Did you know that Noah did not make it through because he was holding on to God? He made it through because God was holding on to him. In the words of Tim Keller, the greatest basis, basis of the Christian assurance is not how much our hearts are set on God, but how unshakable his heart is set on us. You know how I know that we will continue to reemerge? I think I already made it clear that it's not because we're awesome. I, I think I already made it clear that if, if we are the problem, we, we cannot be the solution. 
I'm, I'm, super great, I'm super grateful for what medicine has done and our governments have done and all these things have done, but that's not how I know that we're going to make it through. The reason why I know that we're going to make it through, listen up, church, here or in heaven, is because God always holds us to his church. It's because God holds on to us because his heart is set on his church. And the ones that will become his church. That's why Noah did what he did. Why do bad things happen to good people? Because of the effects of sin in this world. How does, good, how does a good God respond to bad things? He grieves, he extends grace, and he commits. So the last question, which I think is the most important question of the day, is this. How should we respond to bad things in light of our good God? And the answer is super simple. By living by faith. Question, church. Do you know what that means? I think this is where Noah is going to help us because he, according to Hebrews 11... He was a man that lived by faith. That's why he's listed there. And Hebrews 11, chapter 7, gives us a glimpse of what that looks like. It says, by faith Noah, he, when he wanted, um, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark and saved to save his family. And in this verse alone, we find the three elements of what it means to live by faith. Faith means understanding, faith means conviction, and faith means commitment. Listen, faith is understanding. It is to believe with understanding. I, I want you to see that everything that Noah went through was before the flood and before the Lord saved them. But everything that we have talked about, he understood before the flood and before the Lord saved them. So he understood that the reason why there was a, the flood was coming was because of the sinfulness of men. He also understood before the flood um, that God is a God that was with him and was for him. He understood before the flood that God is a God of covenants. He understood before the flood the character of God and how much he ca God cared for him. He understood before the flood that God is a God of grace, that he gives people what they don't deserve. All of these things happened before. It was all understanding. You know why? Because the Christian faith is always a thinking faith. See, he saw the character of God before he saw the miracles of God. Thinking faith. How about if I tell you that we have something better than him? How about if I tell you that the reason why I know that we're going to reemerge is because we have something, a better understanding than the one he had. Something better and bigger. You know what the understanding we have? Is that we have the reason why we can believe by thinking is because we know that we have a better covenant in Jesus Christ. The reason why I know that we're going to survive and that we're going to move through here or in heaven is because we know that the reason why we are going through all of this and the reason why Jesus came, it was because of our, of our sin. 
The reason why we're going to make it through is because we know that God is not indifferent. That's why Jesus came to take our place, take our punishment, and to rescue us. The reason why we know that God is personal and not indifferent is because he came in human form in Jesus Christ. The reason why we know that we're going to make it is because Jesus lived the life that no one has lived. The one that came to take the consequences of our sin, the wrath of God, the flood of God. The one that came to take the storm we deserve, the one that is grace in human form, the one that came to, the one that came not because he had to, but because he wanted to. The reason why we know that we're going to reemerge is because we have a Savior that weeps when we weep. The shortest verse in the Bible is when it says that Jesus wept. Not because of him, but because of sin and what sin does. The reason why we know that we're going to make it through and we're going to reemerge is because he came to establish the new covenant. He died and resurrected, resurrected for this new covenant. The reason why we know that we're going to make it and reemerge is because he did promise not only that he's going to be with us in the storm, but that he's going to be with us until the end of the world. This is how we know that we're going to make it. Because we have a Savior, that in Jesus, we have a God that in Jesus has set his heart on us. How do we know? Because we have the Holy Spirit. See, the reason why we know that we're going to make it is because Jesus made it possible that there's nothing, can you say nothing, that will separate us from the love of God in him. That's understanding, people. Not only we need understanding, but faith is conviction. Do you know why Noah got into the boat? Because this understanding led to conviction. Our faith is not based on feelings or supernatural experiences. It's convictions, convictions that grow out of our understanding. And lastly, from, convict, from understanding to convictions to commitment. You know what I find crazy about Noah? In four different, four different verses, from verses 6 through 8, it says the same thing. Noah did everything as God had commanded him. Did you know that our faith is obedient faith? Our faith is thinking faith, understanding faith. Our faith is not, a, not, not feeling faith, but conviction faith. But our faith is obedient faith. That's what it means to live by faith. How do we know that we're going to make it through? Live by faith, church. Live by faith. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful that every sad story of the church never stays there. We are grateful, Lord, that every Everything painful we go through, we know that has a starting time and an ending time. And we know that, Lord, because you grieve when we grieve. And we know, Lord, that that's the case because you always extend grace. And we also know that this is the reality because you commit to us. And we know all of that to be true 
because we have Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that as we continue to reemerge and that as, as, as we continue to look forward, I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you help us believe. Believe with our heads, believe with our hearts, and believe with our hands. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says? Let's stand and respond to God's word by reciting very specific truths about what we've just heard.
That's a beautiful way to finish our service to remember these two truths. We are unworthy, and yet we are so worthy because Jesus made it possible. At the cross, he deals with both things. He reminds us that we are more sinful than what we think we are, and yet more loved than what we could ever imagine. Lord, as we finish our service, I want to remind you that we love to pray for you every Tuesday. So please let us know how we can pray for you. And I also, I want to impart to you the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And the church says, thanks for coming, church. We love you. You are sent.